Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this Monday, July the 26th, 2021. Let's do a quick survey of the headlines before we touch base this morning with our friend Dave Burring from Lion's Share. All right, so here's what's going on. The new school year is approaching. I know you would like to think that summer will never end, but actually um, summer is pretty quickly coming to an end. The new school year is approaching. Administrators across the country are dealing with serious teacher shortages. They're also dealing with, um, this is strange or rare, shortages of students. Homeschooling is surging across the country, as is COVID. So those are several storylines across the country today. Um, You are also going to see headlines relating to businesses, schools, uh, even states moving from carrots to sticks in terms of vaccine requirements which I think leads us to, um, you know, needing to have a very genuine conversation about if you're not vaccinated, why are you not being vaccinated? And being sure that you are able to articulate that in a way that doesn't just seem defensive. So um, this is not advocacy one way or another. This is me saying to you, hey, if you're not getting vaccinated, why not? And and be prepared to answer that question in a way that is um that's honest to your position, whatever that is, um, and that is not defensive. Like, right, if it's if it's the position that you hold and you ought to be able to hold it with integrity in a way that's non-defensive. So if you're going to claim a religious exemption under, let's say, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, um, through which individuals certainly have the right to be free from discrimination on the basis of religion— So if, as a part of your religious beliefs, you object to vaccines, be sure you're able to articulate that. Be sure you're able to articulate, um, hey, I'm not just objecting to this vaccine. I object to vaccines in general. I have not been vaccinated against. And then go down the list of all the things you've not been vaccinated against, not just COVID. Um, Religion is a really broadly defined term. It encompasses uh, many, many things, not just organized religion, but informal beliefs. And so um, veganism is actually for uh, for folks who are vegans, like they are able to claim a sincerely held religious um, exemption to any vaccine that is developed um, or or reproduced using eggs because they're vegans and they have a religious uh, exemption related to related to not not only animal products, but animal byproducts. So there you go. There's an an example of a sincerely held religious belief, even though it's an informal religious belief, um, that someone might use in in terms of a particular vaccine. COVID vaccines, they're not generated that way. So if you're going to have an exemption to a COVID vaccine, you know, veganism isn't going to be your answer to that. So what is, if you're a Christian, what is your sincerely held religious belief that is, that puts you, 
um, you know, in objection to receiving the COVID vaccine. I'm not I'm not judging one way or the other here. I'm just saying if you're going to say that's your that's your reason you're not getting it, then you need to be able to articulate why that is. All right. So um, other super duper big headlines of the day, um, one out of Tunisia. The nation of Tunisia is in serious turmoil, and you're saying to yourself, um, why should we care? Well, you might remember that in 2011, it was the uh, it was the revolution in Tunisia, which is a North African nation, that really triggered the Arab Spring and moved not only that nation, but a number of nations across uh, uh, across Africa um, in, in, in the Middle East into at least semi-democratic rule. And so for Tunisia to now be in crisis, um, moving from democracy back to autocracy, it looks like, is a serious concern. 86 active wildfires across the United States, mostly in the western states, uh, certainly is of uh, of headline concern in those communities and across those portions of the country. You may be uh, having reduced air quality where you live because of the wildfires burning across the western United States and certainly want to be keeping folks um, in those communities and in those states in our prayers and ready to respond to their needs. Um, All right. The word spiritual warfare might promote a visceral reaction. Um, How do you feel about spiritual warfare? Where have you experienced it? If you've experienced it in the workplace, how are you dealing with it? Dave Buring joins me next from Lion Share. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare in the workplace. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dave Buring is back from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Spiritual warfare. Dave, there's a good conversation starter for a Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. That's a word that uh, can trigger all kinds of thoughts. Right, exactly. So spiritual warfare, you know, I, I would say you don't say those words um, without triggering a response um, in a conversation around you. And I think that as soon as we assert, hey, I'm experiencing spiritual warfare at work, um, then we have gotten ourselves into um, pretty deep water. So talk with us just about even getting this conversation going. If I am experiencing something, now, I mean, you know, I'm so blessed to work in a um, in a Christian workplace, like right where right. Christians, you know, are present and what we're doing is advancing the Christian gospel in and through what we do. And so um, this is a different conversation than I might be having, you know, if I have conflict in my workplace. But there are a lot of people, I mean, and I know a lot of people who experience intense spiritual warf- warfare in the workplace. Yeah. And I think, you know, first of all, Carmen, it goes back to the simplicity of do we even believe the devil's real, right? Because the Bible talks about the devil and how Jesus had encountered him and overcome him. And I think sometimes I find throughout the body of Christ, there's two extremes. There's either the extreme of he's not really there. He's just a guy with horns and, 
you know, a long tail, but there's no influence that he has in the world today. And then you got the other extreme that, you know, when the file cabinet drawer doesn't open, there's, you're sure a demon's holding it shut. And, and in the Bible, there is uh, the balance of warfare. You know, like it, so many things in the Bible, there's the balance of so many things. And so it's not that 20 to 30% on the, the left-hand side or the right-hand side. It's that middle 50% that's truth. And I think when you start even talking about this subject, we have to realize that John 10.10, 10, Jesus told us the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Like that's his mission statement. And the reality of it is that affects our family life, that affects our personal lives, our calling, our destiny, and our workplace. So I think that's a place to start is do we really take time to recognize that could be the source of what's going on? I'm so glad you referenced John 10.10. 10. I think that we you know, often only quote the other part of the verse, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jesus came yeah. to give life and yep. give it abundantly. We don't, uh, yeah. we don't often quote the part of the verse that talks about there being a very real enemy that comes to kill and steal and destroy. Um, yeah. And keeping that in view and in mind is so essential. One of the things that um, I know that you highlight in this conversation is that there is this very real, real spiritual war going on. And you lift up this extended passage from Ephesians chapter six. Um, let's um, let's talk about that. OK. Yeah. So Ephesians chapter six, it, it says um, I'm going to read just a few portions of it here. Carmen, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So that tells us a couple of things, doesn't it? It talks about that we we win this thing because of the Lord and his mighty power. And we're to, to walk strongly in that. It, it gives us something to do. Put on the full armor of God. And if we're not familiar with that, take a look at Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. But it talks about putting on the the breastplate of righteousness, putting on, you know, uh, the belt of truth around us, putting on the shoes of the readiness, the gospel of peace, these kinds of things. And the other thing it says in this portion that I think is interesting is so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And for us to realize that there is a scheming, so let me make it stronger, a demonic scheming to try to get us away from God's presence, to get us away from doing the will of God, to get us away from walking in the ways of God or how God does things, and to just get us away from fulfilling the purposes of God in our life. You see, the enemy knows that when we've given our life to Jesus, that's secure. Our our long-term destiny in heaven is secure. But if he can mess with us on the way and hinder us from reflecting what Jesus looks like, to the world around us and advancing God's kingdom, for him, it's a win. So we have to realize that God is stronger. He's told us to put on our armor daily, and we have to realize that the devil does scheme. The devil does scheme, indeed. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment, and we're going to actually uh, we're going to we're going to actually consider what are some of the spiritual muscles we need to develop in order that we can. Uh, engage in spiritual warfare in the workplace today. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All 
right, we're continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from LionShare. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. You can actually download the Spiritual uh, Warfare at Work um, ebook, Spiritual Warfare in the Workplace, 10 Scriptural Weapons to Win the War at Work, right there um, at lionshare.org. Dave, let's talk through some things on this list of 10 scriptural weapons that God provides uh, that we need to become proficient at using. You know, it's one thing for me to say, oh, yeah, you know, you know, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. It's another thing for me to actually know what those pieces of armor are and to intentionally put them on every day and to become proficient in using them. I like the list that you have made, which leads off with living a godly life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, Carmen, there's areas that we have to realize where the enemy will tempt us at work, you know, tempt us, whether it's to have a bad attitude or, you know, if I just take this, nobody will see or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, Looking the other way when a teammate's need is staring me in the face, you know, it's we're tempted just to not engage or to, to steal all that kind of stuff lie. But then there's another place that I feel like is the number one place where the enemy will try to hinder us at work. And that has to do with um, like dividing people. And the number one way I think that we can tend that is by just living a godly life in our personal life so that when we go to work, we're not, you know, we're not living a different life. Like the word integrity means integrated, that, that I'm the same I'm living the same way alone at home with friends as I do, in this case, on the job. And so it's living that godly life consistently where there's integrity, there's faithfulness, there's gentleness, there's understanding, there's working towards unity, there's working towards um, oneness of heart, there's reconciliation of relationships. That's, That's part of living a godly life. And when you do that, habitually, everywhere else, guess what? It's going to show up on the job as well. And it's one of the ways then the enemy knows he can't get at you because you're going to catch that thing and walk rightly. Yeah, that integrity conversation is a big one. Um, You know, am I living a fully integrated life? Am I the same person, uh, you know, at church and at home and at work and in the stands of the ball field and at the tailgate party and on the highway and on and on and on? That's a really good one. Um, the second one then here on the list, and again, if you want to grab this resource, you can download it from lionshare.org, Spiritual Warfare in the Workplace. Um, the second thing that you list here is the armor of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think this is something that, you know, when we read it there in Ephesians, uh, I, I don't know that we take it to heart as as like an actual, like you put on your clothes, put on your spiritual armor each day, but there's a very real let's call it spiritual um, exchange that goes on. It's just like when you repent for something, the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, there's a spiritual transaction in faith that goes on when you confess your sins, that God has forgiven you. Well, the same thing applies here to, to the armor of God, that when you put on that helmet of salvation each day, and this is something that I will do. It's like I kind of imagine, you know, putting on warrior clothing. That's kind of how it does it for me. So I, it's like I put on this helmet and I realize, OK, this helps me from the darts of thoughts where I don't need to be. And it protects my, my mind. When I put on the breastplate of righteousness, it guards my heart 
that core place of me so the enemy can't get at that. uh, Putting on the, the belt of truth reminds me that this is in my innermost parts, those vulnerable parts, that that belt reminds me from the innermost parts of my being, God, help me walk in truth, not just on the outside, but on the inside. When I put on the shoes, the preparation of the gospel of peace, it reminds me that today in the relationships that I'm in, I can be a peace bearer. I'm the one that can be the reconciler. It's, it's doing the work of Jesus, but I, there's a readiness to it. My shoes are on. I'm ready. And it talks about taking the shield of faith, which again, it extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil. And so if there's times that I don't feel like it, but it's still the shield of not feelings <laughs> of faith that I can stick it out there and resist those arrows that are coming my way. So it's a proactive thing. And then, of course, it talks about taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so it's learning how to be in the word enough that the Holy Spirit has the ability to draw what he's put in you out and so that you can use that sword appropriately, which would be saying, you know, okay, I, I, it's quoting scripture back into the situation over your life. And then the last one here, which people often miss is just, it's with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. And so there's an alertness part. So you think of a warrior that's all armored up, they're alert, they're aware to what's going on. Yeah, there's a vigilance to that last um, phrase in in the yes. full armor of God passage in Ephesians 6. I think that the you know, the praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all uh, all God's people or all the Lord's people. Yes. Um, there's a—that keeps me mindful that, you know, this is not just me uh, all armored up. This is me in Christ all armored up, and this is me in Christ alongside every other Christian all armored up. Like, there is nothing about this that is supposed to be— solitary and, you know, the Lone Ranger version of Christianity. And so our connectedness with one another is really, really important, um, which I recognize gets us down on your list to number six, which is unity. But I don't want to skip over intercessory prayer, the scriptures and the name and the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'll just touch on six there quick. Yeah. Yeah. We have to realize that one of the strategies that Satan has is to divide I mean, we're watching it in our country right now. And and again, this is the kind of thing that we can look at the political environment. We can look at the racial environment. We can look at all the economic stuff going, all these things. And, and we, like, like my challenge to our listeners is all the dynamics that we just mentioned, the political, the racial, the economic, and more, all apply. But do we at least have one lens that we look at this through the eyes of spiritual warfare and realize the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. And and one of the places that this has happened in the whole COVID year and all that kind of thing is, is within the body of Christ. And that needs to be a place that like Paul exhorts us to maintain Ephesians, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Like it's our job to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. And so we have to realize that it's really, really important that we make an effort to do that. And so the unity piece is a very, very important piece. 
So there's so much, um, so much good here that we could uh, continue to cover, Dave. Uh, again, let me encourage everybody that's listening to go to lionshare.org and download the Spiritual Warfare in the Workplace um, booklet. It's it's free. It's downloadable, and it, and you will really have a wonderful, encouraging spiritual experience unpacking each of these. We're going to lay down our life in obedience. We're going to rise up in thanksgiving, praise, and worship. We are going to develop the word of our testimony, and we're going to preach the gospel, sharing the life of Jesus with others um, in our workplace and everywhere else. You can get a copy of the free ebook, Spiritual Warfare in the Workplace, at lionshare.org. Dave, as always, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Such important equipping. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. You too. We'll be right back. Okay, are you like me, and when you are thinking about the Olympics, then you really just want to go and check to see how many gold medals we've already won? Paul, are you are you like that at all when the Olympics roll around? Uh, you know, not this time around. I've been otherwise occupied. <laughs> Do you want to know what the medal count is? Uh, sure, yeah, what, since you right, brought it up. I know, right? So the medal count, I'm. what am I looking for at the top of the list uh, every time? I, I'm only really concerned about what? USA. USA. Wonder whether yeah. or not the United States is at the top of the medal list. Like that's that's all I care about. It's I I don't I don't know if that makes me a bad person or not. But the United States currently has seven gold medals, three no three silver medals, and four bronze medals for a total of fourteen overall medals. So we're we are tied with Japan in terms of gold medals. We are one medal behind China in the overall medal count, and so I'm pretty sure that in China, this does not look like this. Like, I'm pretty sure they're saying, hey, we lead in the medals. We're beating out the United States. We're going to actually talk about this up next with Dr. Adam Carrington. Um, You know, let's talk about the Olympics and pride in our nation and that that's actually an okay thing. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I talk to a lot of parents who feel like their home is a virtual war zone. The teens are lobbing emotional grenades, and it isn't pretty. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I completely understand the analogy. Every day feels like a painful battle, and too often you may feel like a casualty. Take a look at those battles that are raging in your home. Are they worth fighting for? If it's an attack on your respect or a belief system, then you need to confront it. But if it's dumb stuff, you probably need to let it go. Pick your battles wisely. Try to zero in on things that are the most important. And even though it gets intense from time to time, no one needs to lose the war. When all else fails, moms and dads turn to Mark Gregston for help. Equip yourself with the wisdom you need to succeed at parentingtodaysteens.org. Dr. Adam Carrington is back from Hillsdale College, and he is back during the 2020 Summer Olympics being held in 2021. Welcome, sir. Yes, I, I wonder if, if if timing will ever seem normal again. I, I assume it will <laughs> at post-COVID at some point. Um, I, don't I was know. wondering Does why the... the NBA Finals were still going on, too, when they were, because of uh, all the scheduling <laughs> things with that. So. 
So I'm wondering if the 13-year-old from Japan who broke the record for the youngest individual gold medalist should really be awarded as a 12-year-old. <laughs> that would that would that would be quite interesting as far as trying to uh, 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 determine what 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 the standard would be for someone going forward. But no, no, that 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 that, that that's going to be funny on the record books as well. <laughs> For everybody that's wondering, um, it was in street skateboarding, which I'm pretty sure was not an Olympic sport when I was 13. Even if it were, I wouldn't have been participating. But street skateboarding, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that replaced ballroom dancing. There was a point where ballroom dancing was an Olympic sport. I think that didn't last really really long. Yes, I think I remember there being Or it lasted too long. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Both. (laughs) All right, let's talk about the Olympics. Um, So I have already confessed to everyone that I check the medal count pretty frequently. I care that the USA flag is way up there at the top of the list with the most medals and the most gold medals. And today we're tied with Japan right now, seven gold medals each, but we're one medal in the overall medals behind China. That's upsetting to me. Is that okay to feel like prideful about that? Uh, I think it's okay to be very invested in it and to be, yes, pr- proud and I think the right way. I know the Bible talks about bad kinds of pride, but I think it's helpful in two ways. One, I think it's nice that if we're going to have competition between countries, it's done in sports and not on the battlefield. So that's a a nice way of, of adjudicating. I, I think there were some tensions during the Cold War that were really eased at least a little bit when we beat Russia or Russia beat us, although I was certainly my family is much more happier with the former. But no, I think it's good in in a broader sense with uh, the question of patriotism, that I think we're, we're, we're in such a divided time. We've talked about that repeatedly here on, on, on the show, at least while, while I've been on here. And I think that it's a very healthy way of cultivating a kind of um, love of one's fellow countrymen and love of of country in a healthy way, because on one, it, it's love of one's own, um, you know, updating the medal counts, which I do as well, or watching. Here's what I do. I watch sports I know nothing about and then get very deeply invested and start critiquing what's going on, even though I didn't know the sport existed five minutes ago. But it's because we see ourselves in these athletes because we see them as representing us and we see them as representing us in a way as a country, not as a particular subset of the country, not as a particular um, position within the country. We see them as Americans representing Americans altogether. And the other is why why what are we also wanting them to do as Americans to win gold medals or win medals and perform well. What does that mean? Well, we're not just loving them because they're our own, that we're loving them because uh, they're, they're because of excellence, because of good. And we're wanting them to be the best. And I think saying that having a kind of, of patriotic moment in the Olympics that combines loving one's own and rooting for one's own and doing so on the basis of excellence and doing well is about as healthy as I think we could expect or get or want in this current 
uh, climate. And I hope that we'll take time to do that and to and to see ourselves in 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 these actions. Uh, not not only as Christians, Christians ha- certainly have a have a, a another kingdom we're a part of. But as we're looking for the good on earth here, I think um, this 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 uh, is much more important than games and what it can do for us. Yeah, good testimonies coming out of the Olympics as well. I mean, I'm, I cheer for Simone Biles in so many ways on so many fronts for so many reasons. And there'll be other storylines that come out of uh, the Olympics as well. And so I just always encourage people to, you know, be to recognize that there are things about Olympic competition that we can lift up, even if we lose. Like right there, there's there. This this idea that America will always lead or the United States would always lead the medal count, um, you know, that's probably unrealistic as well. And so let's have realistic expectations. Let's uh, reward excellence. Let's celebrate appropriately um, victory, you know, but let's not let's not gloat and be, you know, agonizingly nationalistic. Right. I mean, there's there's a balance there between being appropriately patriotic. I mean, I I just I recognize all of that. But I just wanted to affirm that this morning. Could you and I talk about Facebook and fact checking? There's um there's something going on right now in D.C. Um, I mean, everybody seems very frustrated with big tech. And I just thought I'd let you speak into that this morning. And it's interesting that you said everyone, because it really has become bipartisan. And I think the underlying common ground, at least, is that tech platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, however many ones you want to include, are very, very influential. They're really the conduit through which we do a lot of our communication and a lot of our consuming of information which means they have a very powerful pla- they are very powerful platforms and what's interesting is that uh, left and right are both deeply it seems unhappy with how they are exercising that very important position and therefore both sides are wanting to start to regulate them more and and force them to do certain things in line with the, what each side thinks is responsible a responsible carrying out of their important position within our society. So a lot of the 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 talk has been what the political right has been doing, critiquing uh, big tech, saying that it censors too much. It censors in a way that is uh, cuts against um, unpopular opinions or po- opinions that are not popular within elite. Uh, the elite consensus, and therefore harmful to conservative points of view. And they want the government to step in to regulate them, to make them more like uh, common carriers that that allow, um, that they're forced to be pretty open to whoever wants to come in and speak and whoever wants to use their platforms however they want to use them. Um, the, but the left, we've seen President Biden going after Facebook very recently and parts of his administration, and they believe almost from the opposite side that as a as, as a main conduit of information, these platforms are inappropriately allowing not not censoring or not um, uh, controlling content 
that they see to be very detrimental and and problematic, particularly uh, Biden critiqued Facebook for not being more vigilant against those who are critiquing vaccinations and, and spreading more uh, uh, wilder theories, although maybe uh, there aren't as wild to uh, as, as many as he would say um, about the questions about the vaccine. So it and wanting them to step in and do more themselves. So it's interesting that in some ways they have different critiques of big tech, but both are uh, saying that an entity this big and this powerful has responsibilities and questioning whether the government needs to step in to enforce those responsibilities or not. Okay, on a on a different and yet related subject. <clears throat> um And I think I'll just offer this as a comment as you and I go into a very brief break. The United States government is by far the largest American employer. Like the federal government has something like four million employees. Walmart is uh, is the second largest employer in the United States with one point eight million employees as the largest employer in America. Why has the United States federal government not mandated vaccines for all of its workers? I'll just leave that hanging right there. I mean, I, 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 know there's an, I know there's an answer to that question, but it's like they're all wound up about everybody else going out and getting vaccinated. And they're not mandating it for their own employees, including, by the way, the U.S. military. It gets a complicated mess out there right now. There are times people perform more than they want to act in politics. We've talked about that, and maybe I'll leave to that discussion to how to the way we discussed it before. But um, there's a dearth of wanting concrete, real action, and a glut of wanting to signal and perform to one's constituency. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to talk about infrastructure next with Dr. Adam Carrington. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, let's turn to the topic of infrastructure. I know that there is a flurry of activity in Washington, D.C. right now to uh, finalize some kind of bipartisan agreement on an infrastructure plan. Yes, and I, I made sure I checked things right before we we we, we started speaking because things are moved. Th- th- there could have been movement. And the it seems that at this point, the the victory that I you could say Republicans have had is that they have forced already the Biden administration to separate out a more focused infrastructure plan that is more uh, targeted toward what most of us would really think is infrastructure. And that plan is, uh, according to Rob Portman, who's the Republican sort of leading negotiations, he thinks it's about 90 percent there. Uh, 90% meaning that they weren't willing to go forward with a procedural vote last week. They're on a bit of a deadline to get together on whatever is still separating them because Congress usually goes on vacation for most of August into September. And the plan right now is still to do that. So as far as this infrastructure plan, we'll see if they're able to hold together. There's certainly... um, some some lots of political pressure, some from the left for the Democrats to try to go it alone, although I don't think that would work, and some from the right to not give uh, Bi- President Biden any perceived victories. And hovering in the background are 
these other bills that you at one point were considered attached to the infrastructure bill that the Democrats are trying going to try to push through on their own. And one of the other things is whether uh, the Democrats in the House, Nancy Pelosi has said she won't take up the smaller infrastructure bill without the other one. So a lot of moving parts, a lot of political calculation, but also a lot of question about what parts of these different bills are good for Americans and to what degree are, are, are we going to be able to, to work together to find what is worthwhile and what is good to do. So uh, I watch events, especially the next two days are going to be crucial if some sort of deal is really going to get struck or not, or if the thing might start to unravel. I think the next 48 hours will be crucial and there's a lot we haven't seen that I think is still to happen. All right. There's a new um, case coming before the Supreme Court. Mississippi is explicitly asking the court um, to overturn Roe v. Wade. That is a pretty direct uh, approach, much more direct approach than we've seen in the past. Yes, and this and 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 most people probably who, who at least follow some of this, have, I'm sure, have seen that the court took the case out of Mississippi, the 15-week abortion ban. They took it, uh, uh, you know, weeks ago. However, um, the new change is that the 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 the, the petition, uh, the brief that Mississippi. sent to the court, which is where it sums up its argument for why it should win and why the abortion law should uh, uh, be upheld. Uh, And they had other routes they could have gone. They could have just said, we're not going to try to oppose the Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the main abortion decisions of the land. We're just going to try to argue that we could fit this law within it and and that that we could be upheld within the structure that's already there. And no, they they decided at the end of last week to go big and to say, we think that the best route is to directly overturn these uh, precedents and to return us to the situation we were before Roe v. Wade. So this is the first and most direct challenge Roe v. Wade has had since the early 1990s. It's the first time in a generation that will have had that position squarely really put before the court. So um, uh, uh, it just ups the ante for this abortion case even more than where it was in the past. And, and I think Mississippi was said this is, they think, the best chance to make this kind of move. We have uh Folks who are weighing in on our text line this morning at 877-933-2484. This listener says, yay, I'm excited um, to hear that this case is uh, going up before the Supreme Court. So there are folks out there um, who are um, interested and encouraged by this particular development. All right. We have another um, we have another listener who is asking. um, Let me let me scroll back here. Um, And I don't know that you're up to speed on this. I'm not. Uh, fully read in on this. The Department of Justice is apparently not investigating um, how the state of New York handled nursing homes and and COVID related to nursing homes. Are you read in on that at all? I've seen a little bit about that. And it seems that uh, I would have to check what laws as far as the federal government's role in doing so. But I would say, at least on the broader level, uh, the idea that there shouldn't be some investigation into what happened, clarification of what happened, and if what's accused is true, which seems like a lot of evidence to do so, that there shouldn't be significant fallout for how that 
made COVID so much worse and cost so many lives seems to me unconscionable. But uh, I would have to double check to be a little more up to speed on whose role it is to do that, whether when uh, where the Justice Department could come in. But uh, I, I think that's a huge issue if nothing is done and nothing's investigated on it. All right. Another huge issue that's out there that if you uh, haven't flagged it yet, um, I'll assign this to you for your <clears throat> summer examination. Um, the Concerned Women for America, which is a legislative action committee, but it's also, you know, a bunch of Christian women, like let me just describe it that way, um, have been the under scrutiny by the FBI for no reason whatsoever, just that some person at the FBI thought they'd just spend some time investigating them um, because, you know, it's a bunch of concerned Christian conservative women. So something about that must be wrong. Um, anyway, the Cato Institute has been uh, digging around in this and looking into this, and I, I became aware of it over the weekend. And I just thought to myself, this does not bode well. This does not bode well for the amount of apparently extra time that, that agents of the FBI have to just scroll through Charity Navigator and see whether or not they think there's anything wrong with the fact that people give large sums of money to conservative Christian organizations that they support. I got, I mean, I am not a conspiratorial person at all, but this smells bad, super bad. And, and I think it combines two problems with the modern bureaucracy. Um, one is is their, pol- their independence from political pressure that allows them to kind of go rogue or go rogue too long, too far before they ever get reined in. And the other is the, the, the idea that um, different political views are, cap- are, are actually politically dangerous rather than interlocutors among common citizens. And I think that the, the size, scope, and stretch of the federal government allows both of those bad tendencies to play out. And what you, I think, have within the bureaucracy itself is a kind of um, groupthink that is, is, is when they bring the power of the government to bear in a, in a, in a partisan way is, is particularly dangerous to groups that are out of favor, which, of course, uh, the Concerned Women for America is part of that, that subgroup. So I, I, I agree. Those are all very serious problems that I think should call us to, to reassess even the structure of our government with the modern bureaucracy. I think that's sometimes missed underneath is that I think our structure that has grown over the last really only 70 or 80 years has really uh, facilitated the ability to act in those sort of um, uh, pro- uh, really bad targeted ways. If, if we remember the IRS and Lois Lerner going after conservatives, groups tax exempt status, um, we, we see some precedent for, for this kind of action that needs, uh, needs addressing. All right, Dr. Adam Carrington, as always, thank you so much. You can find Adam at Hillsdale College. You can also find him uh, on, you know, all the all the Twitters. Thanks so much, man. We'll catch up with you again. Thanks so much, too. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. You guys have all kinds of concerns today. I share them. Thank you so much for joining the first hour. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Stay tuned. You can also catch the rebroadcast at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.